People's Poetry Podcast with me, Jimmy Bowman. Hello, massive thank you for joining me. This is episode five of series five of People's Poetry Podcast. And what a treat we have got for you this episode. This is the poetry podcast that follows me, Jimmy Bowman, an aspiring poet and teacher alike, as I travel the UK talking to established poets, as well as poets who have just taken their first steps into the world of poetry, as I try to find out why it is we have just such a love affair with poetry in this country. This is a podcast aimed not just at those who already like poetry, but those who've never really considered it before. I want to show you that there's something in the world of poetry written for you. Now, I regularly say it on this podcast, but I absolutely love it when people contact me and tell me about their work and they ask if that's something I'd be interested in sitting down and talking about. Well, in this case, it was a resounding yes as our featured poet today is the highly inspirational, down-to-earth and incredibly fascinating Mr. David Breakspeare. Now, I say today's chat is something a little bit different because David's route into poetry differs from anyone else I've had on this podcast. I'm not going to spoil it. I'm going to let David explain in his own words because he could do it ten times better than I could. He is a man of many accomplishments and we talk about those accomplishments, but we also talk about where David came from and how he turned his life around and how he discovered poetry. The conversation spawns reform, mental health, education and poetry as a coping mechanism. Anyway, I'm going to shush me mush and let you hear. Very excited about this episode's guest it is Mr. David Breakspear. Thank you for joining me. You are a man of many accomplishments, published author, you write poetry, uh, you're a conference speaker, including TED Talks, Mafia Historian, podcast and radio guests, studying, still studying for a I degree, yep, BA honours. Yep. Probably your most, or the achievement you're proud of the most is you absolutely turned your life around. I have, yeah, and from quite um, a dark and dingy environment. So for anyone who's unaware of who you are, do you just want to explain how did you cut, like, you know, you've done all those things, but... What, why are we saying that you sort of turned your life around? Well, it's, it's, I suppose it was a case of I had no choice, really. Yeah. Um, I've had a life of um, living on the wrong side of the tracks from a very young age. Um, I was the age of 10 when I got my first criminal record, my first police caution for um, smashing, a uh, smashing a window. Um, and it was a life that sort of went on from there, in and out of prison. I had a part of my life where I was slightly sensible, but um, I just meant I didn't get caught. That was all that was. Yeah. Um, so it was, it just really, it, it was a journey. I, I hate, I actually use that word a lot and yet I hate it, but it, there's no other description of it. It was an actual journey that I went on. Um, and then as I, if you like, grew older, grew more emotionally mature, um, understood myself a little a little bit more and understood the reasons why I was the way I was um, was was the sort of and again it wasn't an, a moment of epiphany but it was a moment a, a process of change where I finally realized what it was that I, I needed to do to do what it was that I wanted to do which is reform um, and, and campaign for sorry for campaign for prison reform yeah I mean I'm with you on that. Some people use the word journey far too often, but I think you are totally valid to use, yeah. that, use that word. So, obviously, you had... It was about 15 years sort of in and out of prison. 
in total? That was that was spread over. Um, I mean, my first time when, was when I was fifteen in 1985, um, and my last time or my last release uh, was the 9th of June 2017. And you you contacted me uh, because in prison you uh, started a creative writing course and you started writing poetry and yep. you said you know it was a and I want to talk about that in a bit in more depth but you said it was a good amazing coping mechanism for your mental health yeah well, well poetry really I mean it was poetry itself it, it, it things like poetry prose um, anything I suppose creative along the right I didn't see as creative writing because mm. in the early days it was something I did for me um, and it was only kind of later on where others noticed it and, and, and started getting me to develop it. Right. Um, but yeah, poetry, and, and not just poetry, but any any form of, any form of, of the arts, really, be it drawing, be it painting, um, sculpture, poetry, prose, short stories, they they can become coping mechanisms. And not only that, because of because of the, I suppose, some of the dark thoughts behind some of the work some of the demons that, that become involved the inner demons that become involved in people's work you get to see some incredible incredible stuff and you also get to read some incredible stuff as well yeah certainly some of the poets i've spoken to uh have narrowly avoided uh prison in in certain circumstances mm. but again poetry was their sort of outlet so yeah i think you're bang on the money with a, a lot of people actually do. I mean, if if you speak to families of of prisoners and loved ones of prisoners, you'll probably find well, that's unless they they're buying it off of someone else in the yeah. old, old school sort of trade. But um, you'll find that a lot of prisoners become poets uh, in jail because it's a way. Of, it's and it, and it isn't just look. Some of it's not great. I, don't get me wrong. I mean, I've I've wrote some rubbish myself, but it still meant something yeah um, and it still means something to the individual however it comes out and and in a way some of the the worst stuff that i've read has also been some of the deepest feeling mm. um it's just that they haven't been able to express it the way they wanted yet they've expressed the feeling and, and that's that's something that and i think it's something that you pick up as a prisoner if you'd like it's, it's one of those things that um where lived experience really does count yeah we were talking before recording sort of on the way up here about uh, things you do now and you know campaigning for prison reform is a, a big part of of what you do now so i suppose we should we should talk about prison because mm -hmm. a, as you said you just want you know you want to get your message heard everywhere and i think in terms of your writing obviously it's been a massive factor so i've heard you say uh on certain interviews and stuff about making prison walls invisible mm -hmm. um so that I guess we can see through almost how the media kind of sensationalizes not just prisons but prisoners as well. Well, of course. I mean, um, and look, it, I fully, fully understand that um, the way that society view our prisons. Um, unfortunately, is it a fair view that they're given? For me, when it comes to the criminal justice system, I think the media, especially, and, and of course the government, tend to do it through a, um, a blinkered vision of fear. And mm. fear alone um, when you read headlines in the, in something like the Daily Mail it's always murderers rapists paedophiles and terrorists and yet prison is so much more than that yeah um, and and again it's about for me it's about I mean 11 million people in this country have a criminal record so there's it's there but for the grace of God go I and um, <coughs> It's, it's, yes, there are bad people in prison, but there is also some very, very 
good things that go on in prison. Um, and for me, it, it's about making those walls invisible because prisons are a part of society. Yeah. They don't exist out there. And, and that's the thing. It's like we, there are problems. Um, whether there are problems through a direct consequence, whether there are, there are th and by that I mean a family member or someone becomes a victim. Um, however, but even if you pay tax, <laughs> our prisons are your problem. Yeah. Um, and the sooner that we can get to um, sort our prisons, reform our prisons, if you like, uh, and get people to turn their lives around sooner rather than later, um, the more money we're safe. It, it makes sense. So. In terms of day-to-day -day life in a prison, what what does what does a typical day inside look like? Because if you read the newspapers nowadays, you're gonna have a warped view. If you've only ever seen porridge, you're gonna think it's you know. Do like you know what porridge isn't that far from it? Okay. Um, I I <laughs> um, and it's I actually say to people if you and even the humour mm. um, is there. Porridge is the closest you probably can get to prison than the most prison document. Well, yeah, to most prison documentaries because uh, a prison documentary doesn't just appear in our telly. A prison documentary appears because there's a narrative to be told, um, and the the people in control of the narrative are the ones that are doing the filming and yeah. the editing. Yeah, so, yeah. as as much as as these organisations or companies, filming companies, whatever, say that they're going to do A, B, C. You're still relying on their editorial, uh, their editor, to be able to produce ABC. Yeah. Because otherwise, they can really make you look like the stereotypical prisoner landing wing prison that society expects. Um, and I think that's unfair. So when you get to things like um, porridge, when you really look at it um, rather than from watching it as a sitcom or as a comedy, if you can watch it as a documentary, you'll see it's not that far away from prison, um, because. <laughs> and don't forget, they're trying to uh, incorporate 30 minutes of entertainment. Yeah. So basically what you're seeing is, is, is a day in fast forward, but it's not far from that. Um, they, they've brought back uh, tables where you can sit down and eat in dining rooms and things like that, or on the end of the landings. They've been brought back, obviously not at the moment because of COVID. But yeah, um, yeah it's, but prison's boring, really, in the main. It's boring. And, and the thing with prison is that when stuff happens, not only does it happen at the drop of a hat, it's over as quick as well, and then it's back to boring again. Um, it, it becomes gossip in no time because something else has happened I imagine um, elsewhere. Does it? You said it happens at the drop of the hat. Is that because, like, emotions are pretty heightened? Yeah, um, yeah, because it's full of bad people, and um, because uh, you you need to be keeping. I mean, subconsciously, consciously, depending on who you are, um, you end up in prison. You're going to make sure you've got an eye over your shoulder, um, and you've got eyes in the back of your head. So constant, constant paranoia yeah. um, is part of your life in prison. Uh, not for everybody. Um, if if you one of the one of the worst pieces of advice I hear people give is just keep your head down. No, because if you just keep your head down, you're asking, you're opening yourself up for trouble. You need to try and make yourself invisibly visible, <laughs> or visibly invisible. Yeah. Um, and there are ways of doing that, but we wouldn't have long enough here <laughs> to do it. But one of them ways is to watch. He g Fletch gives out so much advice on there, um, just about life in general, not just about. Don't forget, there's still human beings in prison, and this is why I say about. They're part of society. They're still 
mothers, fathers, sons, daughters, grandfathers, granddaughters, whatever. Yeah. So they're still human beings and they still have the same thoughts and feelings as we do out here. It's like sometimes you do feel as if we're talking about uh, an alien um, life form or something when we're not. We're just talking about normal human beings that maybe have made a mistake um, through mental health, a, a mental health episode of, of made a decision that was the wrong decision, an irrational decision, a crime of passion, if you like. You've got some people whose need outweighs their want. Yeah. Um, and when the need outweighs the want, whatever that need is, is if you like, um, fulfilling, then the consequence of not having that need is then the consequence, not I can end up in prison here. It's like I might end up dead here. Yeah, uh, I yeah, could. Yeah. I might not be able to eat. I might not be able to pay my rent. I can't do this. I can't do that. So there's a lot of reasons why people end up in prison, other than just being a bad person. There's not not many people are born bad. So therefore, um, when we we look at our prisons, we should understand that these people in prisons, the majority of these people in prisons, are a product of society. Mm. So therefore, it's society's issue and society's problem, and that's why prisons should become transparent, and that's why I'd like to see the walls metaphorically become invisible. When you're in inside, obviously you spoke about not now because of COVID, but they've brought back sort of communal areas. How how long are you restricted to that cell for like a day? Well, on an average day, right? Let's say for argument's sake. Your door, um, on, a, on a normal day, your door opens at quarter to eight. Yeah. Um, you're ready to go on what's known as free flow, uh, and that's to your workplace, your activity. People try and jump on the phones. People try and jump on their showers. So straight away, the screws are at it. They're, they're, they're keeping an eye on yeah, people yeah. running about. You might have two people in a double cell, three people in a double cell, or even a four-man. One of them or two of them might be working and the others aren't. So that door's open, they're out. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, as simple yeah, yeah. as that. So, but that comes, so everyone's off to free flow, everyone's banged up again, and then you have what's known as the roll. They try and get the roll in. That's obviously the how many people in that prison make sure no one's escaped. Um, and there are reasons why they have to get the roll in, but that's an, another long expl explanation. So um, you're... Re you're relying on them to get the role right before anyone else moves, before anyone else is unlocked. Um, everyone's in their place of work, their place of education, at visits and, and wherever in reception, moving on. But anyone else that's on the wings have to wait until that rolls in. And then again, it comes down to the amount of staff you have on the, in, in the jail. Um, you have what's known as, in the morning, you get a, uh, what's known as domestics, either in the morning or in the afternoon, depending on where the staff are. Yeah. Um, and that's literally about an hour of being able to clean your cell, get out and make a phone call, jump in the shower, um, do whatever you need to do in that hour. Um, and then you get banged up. They might have exercise for, uh, uh, sorry, um, time out in the open air. Um, it's no longer called exercise. Um, so you go out, uh, that, that can be an hour. Uh, so you get an hour on the landing, you get an hour out. Uh, again, all dependent on time and dependent yeah. on staff. And believe you me, that changes daily. Right. Um, one day can, this is what's supposed to happen on a Monday, yeah, and and virtually on a Tuesday. But what happens on a Monday might not be the same as what happens on a Tuesday, and so all the way through the week because it really does come down to staff, what's going on in the prison at the time. If they find um, contraband or something in the grounds, depending on what it is, they could shut the whole prison down. I've heard you say when I was doing a bit of digging, uh, just sort of researching about 
you know, if prison goes into lockdown yep. and you've got a class, then that, that's because tough. you get knocked on the head. Like. Yeah, tough. Yeah. Um, what, what, um, I was in Pentonville um, in 04 and um, summer of 04 and they found a bullet, um, a live bullet in the grounds. So we went on a three-day lockdown and that literally was um, no movement at all in or out of the prison. Wow. And when you went down for your meals, you'd go down three at a time. Yeah. Um, so if you were the last person to go down on that landing, God, your food was going to be cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and you're only supposed to keep food on a hot plate for 45 minutes, and it's it's and by the time it's come over from the kitchen, it's been kept warm for about two and a half hours. You know what I mean? That's when you get yeah. yeah. And believe we don't get three hot meals a day. Um, you get your lunch, which is normal. And I'm not complaining anybody. This is what we get. Um, you get four bits of bread. You might get either uh, a packet of crisps. Uh, a penguin or a bit of fruit uh, and you get enough whatever it is you have chosen for that particular sandwich or them sandwiches enough to make one and you've got to try and make two out of it um, they really are small portions so you're constantly hungry uh, and then at tea time you get a hot meal um, and then also at tea time you get what's known as a tea pack and a tea pack consists of proper ropey tea bags <laughs> this um uh whitener coffee whitener and a few sachets of sugar but you also get a small carton of uht milk and a packet of uh cereal whatever it may be now most people would have ate that uh that night because they're still hungry if you don't get money sent in you don't buy candy and you're constantly hungry so you're constantly eating whenever you get an opportunity yeah. um so by the time so if you've eat, had your tea uh, so, so alright we'll come back um, so yeah you, so lunch is served between around about quarter to 12 12 o'clock banged up rolls in quarter past 12 up quarter to 2 same as the morning everyone goes off to work visits go where they got to go blah 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 everyone moves about everyone else is banged up until the roll's in the roll comes in again it's either domestics or um, you're banged up because someone else is or you might have a situation where one wing is on domestics and you're on exercise and vice versa right. morning afternoon they, they alternate or alternate um, and then so you get the guys come back from from edu from work and, and education around about uh, half four quarter five start doing tea um, and then around about quarter past five, half five. And again, this, this is dependent on this part on what prison you're in, what security is, and so on and so forth. Um, I'm really talking about BCAT locals and Category C prisons here. Um, so um, you'd then either stay open until around about seven o'clock, quarter past seven, after. So you'll stay open over your tea period, and that's known as association period, SOCH. Right. That's where you get to play your pool, snooker, table tennis, which sounds, <laughs> which sounds, but it isn't that extravagant, believe you me. Um, and and yeah, that's that's your day. Right. Um, so as I say, not a lot really happens. Yeah. Um, it's um, it's just a, a process that you seem that unless and you can get very much involved in that process like a like a clock like a mouse uh, on a wheel. Uh, if you're not careful, if you, you need to find yourself other things to do. Yeah. What are the officers like then? Because, I mean, again, in the media, you get these stories about, you know, the, uh, them abusing their powers, but then you get stories about, you know, officers that are not too bad. But from someone who's actually experienced them, 
Right. Do you know what? Right. I um, it's quite funny because I've always had a problem with the police. I've always had a problem with authority. Yet prison officers, I've never really had a problem with. Um, yeah, we've fallen out over the years. Of course, we have. Uh, and early days, I learned the hard way. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that all changed after the nineties. But um, do you know what? In the main, and the thing was as well, back in them days, uh, they used to be able to go to the officers' mess and get a drink. So. Um, and any bloke, if you've got an hour, some people are going to try and fit as many beers in an hour as they possibly can, especially if, uh, as they possibly can, especially if they've had a stressful morning mm. or they've got a stressful home life. Um, I think that's why a lot of affairs go on in prison, especially between um, a husband and wife that isn't in the same industry. Um, you find that obviously it's very, it must be very difficult for them to have conversations yeah. without with some and, and, and like former prisoners it's very difficult to have conversations without you actually being in that prison because you have to explain everything and you find that you over explain so obviously talking to your own becomes so much easier and mm. and, and and that's how prisoners become good friends because obviously they've got so much in common yeah. whereas officers do as well i mean it's not it's not uh, uh something that happens all the time i'm just saying it's something that happens because of that closeness but in the main, they're, they're all look. They're all right. It's, it, it, it's how you. It's, it's jail craft. It's how you teach them. Um, and one example I use is if your if your cells being spun. Um, look, we've all got dodgy stuff in our cells. We've all got contraband that we shouldn't have. Um, but it doesn't do anyone any harm. It keeps the 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 prison ticking over. It's them sort of little treats, them little luxuries that you're that you can black. We're not talking drugs or anything like that because that's what they're looking for. They're looking for money. They're looking for drugs. They're looking for weapons. Yeah. They're looking for anything that's going to have a like escape equipment that's going to have a serious effect on the security of the prison. They're not going to really care too much if you've got too many deodorants or. Um, if you might have a stereo that you shouldn't perhaps have, yeah. or you've got a PlayStation in your cell that someone sold you and you shouldn't have. But again, it comes down to attitude, because if they open your cell door and you're like, would you want me? Yeah, I hate you, no, it's always, but if you give it that, you're way. losing all that yeah. stuff, bruv. You're yeah, losing yeah. it all. However, if you haven't, if, if you just go, all right, not a problem, gov, do me a favour, though, make sure you tidy up after yourselves, here, for fuck's sake, <laughs> and, and just give it that type of attitude, then they see that sort of stuff and they'll be like, oh, fuck it, let have it. Yeah, because there's no there's no need to cause any issues because you haven't. So a lot of it comes down to you as the individual, how you are with them. Um, you don't have to be a grass. You don't have to be a screwboy and be up their ass every ten seconds. Um, but there is a mutual respect and a game, if you like, the shade of grey. I like to call it. Um, where 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 things. It's like a prison officer. It, I know you can't smoke in prison every, anymore, but if he offers, if he gives a prisoner a Rizla. That could save that prisoner's life, believe it or not. Yet the officer could have been sacked for that. Right. For, for, for yeah. But see, it's those little things, those those that jail craft, if you like, that both sides need to learn or or can learn, that enable prison to be what it is. I mean, you think you've got you've got to order two people have got to order a hundred, perhaps violent, dangerous criminals in off the exercise yard when perhaps they don't want to because it's a really nice day. Yeah. So where does that control come from? They, they, they do it they, because they know they don't have no choice. Um, so we understand the rules and the regulations of prison, but it comes down to, on the back of that, it also comes down to the attitude of the staff and how they approach prisons, mm. of course. So if you can find that, they, they, they need, I, I, I'm not saying there shouldn't be a them and us because there should. That's how prison is run with them and us. Um, you can't have that boundary of them and us 
become any more blurred than it is now. Um, in my opinion, a little bit of discipline has been lost. Not nasty discipline, but respectful discipline. Right, um, yeah. Things like making sure that your cells kept clean, otherwise you'd lose demerits for it. Um, because at the end of the day, it's not just about you, it's about the guy that's following. Yeah. That he's coming in. Why should he come into a shithole? Just because you couldn't be asked. Yeah. Um, but that's another that's another story. Certain <laughs> certain things you've said there in, in that about officers and that is you could always draw parallels to teaching in a way. I mean, not that I I'm handing out. No, I suppose you can. No, I suppose you can. Yeah. There's certain things you've said, and even what you said at the end there about how the lines sort of blurred because teachers haven't got you know the the sort of respect and authority that they might have had back mm. in the. 1760s but yeah some similarities there yeah of course there is there's a lot of similarities between because it's part of society yeah it's <laughs> no different yeah the last time uh you were put away i read um I, well, I think it was you that said it um that you, you were going through a cycle like a bad cycle in your life and uh you were sort of homeless at the time yep. and it was almost a, a deliberate yeah conscious action yep I mean, to be, to be to get to that stage in your life your your mental health must have been you know a bit shaky then well yeah I, mean, I i i found out in 2010 what it was that was actually wrong with me i was given a diagnosis or a number of diagnoses by um this clinical psychologist um, and uh, and i've talked about this before as well i was under a psychiatrist that i had no respect for he just it was his office he was he had this typical blue navy blue suit on mm. part of his shirt was hanging out his tie was hanging down it, he had like stains on his on the on the lapel of his suit um his um uh in his office a health and safety executive would have a nightmare because he had drawers open left right and center on his on his filing cabinet his desk was a mess and i just thought i'm i'm just going to tell you exactly what it is that you want to hear and the story that i've been telling most of my life yeah. oh who's gonna what purpose does that serve but when i met this guy this clinical psychologist wow different different kettle of fish entirely so because I had respect for him and I, I just felt that there's no way on earth that I'm getting anything past this geezer, I said, um, you're going to get the lot, mate. And he got the lot. Um, and I, about two weeks later, I received the report back. And rather than go, oh, my God, it was like, yes, right, okay. I'm, I'm, and all right, it took me a few years, but, I mean, come on, I'd only just, I think it was six, um, yeah. six different personality disorders that he had diagnosed me with or six six medical conditions that he diagnosed me with and it was like um i i and i sort of was therefore really trying to find me and unfortunately i was trying to find me um at the with with a barrel of beer and a bottle of vodka and a uh, tub of tablets and a, a foil of heroin and i i, I was still trying to it was weird it, it was trying to uh take two steps forward and three back mm. every single time um, and that's why when I was really at my, my lowest point, um, and I, I did contemplate suicide, don't get me wrong, but I didn't want to. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the only other option for me was the one place I knew where I'm comfortable and, and was my comfort zone. And, and unfortunately, I say unfortunately, but it, it's my life. They were my decisions and my mistakes to take ownership of. And that was my consequence. So in a way for me over the years i kind of embraced that and yeah. and because i embraced it, it enabled me to have a different perspective of prison and also have a different perspective going back to prison officers of prison officers um they it's like a game of chess they they're pawns you have to put them in the right places and, and manipulate them of course you're manipulating people 
But for me, as I grew older and, and I started realising there were more and more dickheads among the prisoners that were acting up and playing up, the less I had to do. But the more I was learning as well. So it was um, less effort but more knowledge. And in the end, it, it was really coming down to yes, thank you, please and no. Right. And I found uh, that yes, please and thank you, uh, or please and thank you, uh, got me a job uh, in Blunderston on the surgery on G-Wing about three weeks prior to me getting my position as a mentor for Shannon Trust. And if you know the story about that, you'll know how profound that was. So that was, the, the, the guys, they needed someone on the surgery and the guys that worked on the surgery went, this guy here, and I'm like, what, what, what? And they said, we're looking for someone to work on the server, and we think you're one of the politest people on the s that come through the server. There you go. Uh, but that's all I was doing, yeah. just saying please and thank you. That simple. Because you stand out. Um, and it was like, it was, it was easy. It's, it, it's an easy game. Look, it's, it's, an hard play. it's a hard environment to play the game. But once you know it, once you understand the rules, it's an easy game to play. Yeah. Um, and that's why I say one of the worst pieces of advice is, um, oh, just keep your head down. Oh, no, just... Try and get yourself out there, but do it in the right way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Talking about your, your mental health there, and, and you, you spoke about, you know, the contemplated suicide uh, and, and the homelessness, and so that was your way out because you knew the conditions mm. in, in prison. Mental health nowadays, everyone, uh, and it is good advice, talks about a conversation and, and making sure you talk about it, and I suppose it's the same with writing. That's, that's a good coping mechanism if you can finally talk about what it yep. is that's going on. In prison, though, what was the conversation like? Because I don't imagine, you know, inmates were talking to inmates very much about their mental health, or were they? Because um, I've heard you say interviews <laughs> about sort of like a prison uh, sort of slang and stuff like that. And Do you know what? Um, I, I think you'll find that um, prison, prison becomes a place where people kind of use their mental health as an excuse very much. Right. Um, which I suppose is quite detrimental to mental health. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying they're not suffering from mental health, they are. And this is this is one thing, someone says, because I, I was trained by the Samaritans and, and I've become a listener. And that's basically the same as the Samaritans. We listen to people's problems 24-7. Uh, but the difference there is it's prison, so therefore it's face-to-face. -face. Um, and someone says to me, like, well, how do, you, how do you believe what it is that they tell you? How do you know what they're telling you is true? And I said, I don't really care, because at the end of the day, if they believe it's true, then who am I to judge it? Yeah. I'm there to deal with thoughts and feelings. I'm not there to deal with behaviour. Uh, in, well, to act in one, I'm, I mean, hopefully at some point that um, they, if they got to the point of contemplating suicide, I, I stopped them from doing that. Um, but by getting them to talk, and, that, and it's, that's why it's called listening because yeah. you're getting them to talk. And there's a, there's a TEDx by um, a lady called, a Scottish lady called Madeline Black, and I keep bringing this one up as well, uh, where she mentions um, what we don't release leaks out of us in other ways. And believe you me, there is no better um, uh, uh, image of that than, than the landings of prison, where people have, haven't released it and they've allowed it to be coming out in, and that comes in forms of challenging behaviour and, and violent disruptive behaviour, unfortunately. Um, and that's again where it comes to those those walls becoming invisible. It's it's prisoners becoming see through, so that rather than look at the crime, we look at 
what's behind the crime and the person behind the crime before we make a full judgment. I'm not asking, again, it's like unless you walk in someone else's shoes, you can't really have uh, a say on what their life is like. Yeah. Um, but it, you can have some form of empathy or some form of understanding that it always, it isn't always a case of this person needs to be locked up. It should be a case of what have we done wrong as a society for this person to end up in that position. So coming sort of slowly but round to to poetry side yep. of it, obviously you're a massive believer, as am I, that, that education oh. was a key part yep. to you know, help coping with your mental health, making sure that, that was better, but also sort of reforming you. And, yep. and, and Prisons education. Yeah, yeah. And poetry seemed to be a bit of a coping mechanism for you. Yep. So before we talk about, you know, you writing poetry, the classes itself inside, how, how easy was it to get on a, sort of a creative writing course? Unfortunately, very easy because... Um, for some in prison and the way it's handled, education is seen as a form of punishment. Right. Um, it wasn't that long ago that they brought out a rule where to get into purposeful activity, and by that I mean the workshops and, and outside of the classroom, if you like, to be able to get onto those kind of jobs, which it's cha one thing that is changing now, and I'm so pleased that it is, is the actual pay for education. Um, because, and I don't mean to say this in a detrimental way at all, and in s there's always exceptions to the rule, but in my own experience, I found that those with a lower education also come from those with um, a poorer background in mm -hmm. respect of finances and finance. So um, the people that actually need to do education can't afford to do so. Right. However, the prisons then make, force them, um, if you're, you need to be working towards a level one at least before you can get proper work. Um, and for me, it's, it, it needs to be widened because not everyone has that, not, not knowledge, but that inclination of academic um, learning. Or, or, so we need to sort of widen how we, we yeah. teach people. Um, and for me, I mean, I've seen so many examples of uh, something going on on the wing. Even as a mentor for Shannon Trust, someone learning to read, next thing you know, they're in um, the library. And the next thing you know, they're in education, doing yeah. a, a creative writing course or an IT course. And it all come off the back of reading, which again is education. I mean, it, it's, it's for me, it's, it's, is it Tony Blair? Education, education, education. Yeah, yeah. It is, it is about education. And if if people actually done some research and looked into the power of education in respect of custody, they can see how much of a return on investment it actually is as well. So it's not just beneficial to the individual, it's not just beneficial to the prison itself, it's also ben beneficial to the local community, it's also beneficial to the local society, yeah. society as a whole, and the local and national economy, because of obviously getting back into paying into rather than taking out of um, the pot. You mentioned level one then. Yep. And so there's le level is level two GCSE equivalent, level three is A level. Well, level two is where you stop. You stop, um, right. Some prisons now, because of the prisons since 2000, I might get this date wrong, but I think it's been since 2016, all prisons have, or around about that time, all prisons have been autonomous. And by that, it means that they, they get a certain amount of money. Um, a lot of things are ring-fenced nationally. 
and within respect of education this might might have changed as i'm going back a few years yeah, yeah, yeah. so this may have changed since but what they were doing is nationally they were ring fencing level one english level one math or maths wherever you want to say and um level one information communication technology anything further than that you had to rely on but anything further than that you're talking about level two mm. um anything up beyond the level two you would have to rely on the governor to have an inclination towards education so that he puts part of his money that he's been given um, by the government into education yeah. and not into the workshops or not into improving the kitchen or improving their boardroom or his office, you getting the latest leather chair. Guardian article that I read yep. that, that you spoke about, I mean, that, that was a statistic. I don't think it explained that part, but that makes a bit more sense because they said, um, I mean, there was roughly, this is 2018, so two yep. years ago, roughly 82,000 prisoners at that time and only 100 of them in that report from 2017 to 2018 did level three like a mm. level equivalent so that would be why because it would be governors yeah it was okay. yeah exactly and and I, I mean you've got to don't get me wrong look i understand again i i get the reasons why um and you've got organizations like the prisons education trust who i utilize this time around um who gave me I've, and that wasn't the first time that i utilized mm. them I, I actually utilized them back in 2005 when i done a course in counseling um, with the National Extension College. But um, I used, so I knew that they were available to me. Uh, again, it was like over the years, I'd built up my own toolkit of when I eventually was ready to, t I had it all there. It was like, oh my God, it's there. Yeah. <laughs> That's why it was so obvious where I needed to be um, because it was, well, this is where I've got the skills, the experience, the tools, um, the respect, um, the the um, the support of staff because they knew so it's easy for me to go back and say to them listen um, this is what I intend to do this time and and they they worked with me and supported me and enabled me to turn things around that, I was going to ask you that because I get the impression so when, when you went in for the last time you you, you knew what it was you, yeah. you wanted to do I mean what, what changed to go from that period of very sort of low mental health to then go Right, I'm going in, and I think I read somewhere you said you just wanted to have a book published. You want to be a published author at some point. Yeah, to, yeah. Well, no, it was not it for was, the glory of it. Yeah, no, just, uh, it was um, it was the fact that it kind of, it was close to that. What it was was about me being kicked out of school at 14. Yeah, and here I am, a former prisoner as a published author. Um, so I mean, that in itself is sort of, if you like, um, the beginning and the end of Journey of the Reform Man. Yeah. Um, what, what do you think it was that that some it, it almost feels like something clicked when you went back in that last time having yeah having nothing um yeah. losing everything um and understanding how <laughs> let me say this the right way how much of a a, a positive resource prison can be mm. um prison does work because at the end of the day um even if you look at the worst figures of 62% reoffending 38% don't so what are they so it, it it can work so but for me we we it's like anything in life we we it's subjective to the individual and i saw prison as my savior um as i've got all of this experience from this environment and and in prison i was i realized that i was more tolerant i had more patience i had better understanding more empathy because i was surrounded by my people um yeah. so and and these people, I, I was, I, I, 
um, I sort of done things wrong to begin with early days where I was more of an activist than I was a campaigner and I'd go on hunger strike and I'd, <laughs> I'd dirty posts, things like that. So, um, and I wasn't getting anywhere. So that was where the, the idea of the degree come from that, um, yes, it was for me as well, but my, my, um, my dream was achieved when I passed an access module because I haven't got any qualifications outside of prisons. And when I was in school, oh, if David had only just applied himself. So I applied myself and I knew I, uh, because it wasn't, it wasn't education or learning I fell out of love with. It was authority in school that I didn't yeah. like and society that I wanted to get away from where, where my head was all messed up. So in prison, I was fine. I loved it. I, and, and obviously that led on to me becoming institutionalised. And I, I realised that, hold on a minute, this is the place that I need to break away from. Not committing crime, not my mental health, not alcohol, not drugs. Prison. Yeah. Everything really now is is because I was fine. I, I'm sort of I over the years I've been dealing with myself and and in 2008 I dealt with a uh, uh, I had counselling over some sexual abuse I suffered as a child and that dealt with that and and it went on and on and on. So it was kind of everything was it, it, it was <laughs> I don't want to say it's destiny or fate, but it, I can't describe it any other way. And mm. and when I was at my lowest point, which was what three four o'clock in the morning at this geezer's house out my nut on heroin and another guy was there who was really ill and we needed money and that was the moment where it was like because we've been talking about prison um and that was the moment where it was like my god what am i doing out here yeah <laughs> why am i trying to I, i'm swimming upstream uh, against the current upstream well yeah i'm swimming against the current out here if i'm in there i'm riding a wave mm. and um Look at my history now. Yeah. Uh, look at my future. Yeah, I mean, yeah, look yeah. at look at everything now. I mean, I, I, it's very difficult. I just there you go. <laughs> Did it work? There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the CV to back it up now. Yeah, exactly. I didn't realise as well that um, Ofsted actually sort of come in and they sort of review yep. uh, prison education. So uh, the education's run slightly like the schools are academy style schools now. Yeah, well, it's private um, private operators now. Um, I mean, everything. Uh, even, and, and when people talk about privatisation of prisons, um, even in HMP, the only thing that isn't private are the prison officers yeah. <laughs> and the prison. The, everything else in that prison is the, the uh, support services, education department, the um, works department, the catering department. It's all outsourced. Um, um, and so I think there's something like, with all the prisons in the country, I think there's something like only 14 areas, clusters, that um, so let's for argument's sake uh, People Plus so People Plus would have all the jails in East Anglia uh, like so you've Suffolk probably Cambridge uh, and up to sort of if you like uh, the, the tip of Essex the tip of London and so on so like that round about that circle and there's 14 of those dotted and each one each private sector company will bid for each one of those so it's like anything they they're, it's an education environment, and yeah. they're, they're they're a registered education environment. So they're and it's the same with BT. Uh, BT provide the phones, and they're um, covered by Ofcom. Um, uh, the canteen, with it being DHL as the private contractor and Booker, or just DHL now. Uh, if you want to complain, you complain to the Consumer Council. Uh, so it's all right, it's yeah. all the same things out here than what it would be in there. Before 
we start talking about your poetry i suppose the the last sort of piece of the jigsaw when it comes to prison experience we were talking about this on the on the way yep. to what is now a really rainy bench it's coming yeah, down there isn't it you know, so you, here's another thing about prison, or not so much these days. Sorry about in there. That's right. It just fits that rain was something we never felt because as soon as, it, unless you was walking in between buildings, because once it started raining, when it was exercise, um, once it started raining, you got called in. It was called inclement weather. No exercise right. due to inclement yeah, yeah. weather. Now there's no choice. You get a choice whether or not because it's time out in the open air. It don't matter whether it's raining or not, so you can get to go out. Um, but yeah. for my day, so for me, rain, it's, and then on, you, on the flip side is dog poo. You're not used to stepping in dog poo. So when you get out, it's, oh, for God's sake, <laughs> every five minutes when you're like walking down the ice. Oh. <laughs> um, so it does have a payoff. But yeah, rain, I, I actually enjoy rain. I, uh, love yeah, rain. I love the rain. I love the feel of it yeah. because it was something that, I mean, I haven't been, in, <laughs> I haven't been behind the door forever, but it, it adds to the fact of those small things that you take for granted out here. Um, like the smell of flowers, the smell of perfume. Mm. When you've got a female officer walk past with, and perfume, it, it's so enhanced. Mm. Uh, I'm not standing pervy there, but it, I mean, it's it's enhanced in respect to the smell because it's such a beautiful smell in amongst the crap yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. that it really does stand out. And, and there's certain perfumes. I walk down, a, uh, a, I nearly said a wing. I walk down the high street, I walk down the road and this waft to come past, I'll be like, oh my God. And I'm straight back on the landing. Yeah. Yeah, don't think about things like that. Sorry about it. No, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, we were talking uh, on the way. I, I suppose it's uh, it's become almost a bit of a mantra for uh, you, your blog and uh, reform is an attitude. And yeah. you've certainly spoke about how reform is an attitude for a prisoner or someone with uh, suffering from poor mental health. But we were talking on the way up here about I quite enjoy the fact you also hold society to account yep. in some of you know your public speaking and you say well society needs to to reform as well because did you feel like when you came out the last time and you knew you 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 were on this journey of uh, reforming did you still feel like there was a stigma associated um to you because you'd been inside when you tried i don't know to you get a publishing deal or something like that um listen i i've got the perfect um example and it happened quite soon after being released um, I was what's known as a mapper. Uh, a mapper is someone that um, is a violent criminal. It does cover other crimes as well, but someone that's a violent criminal um, over a period of time, they can become a mapper on a one-off offence. Right. And it's multi, multi-agency public protection agreement, I think. Um, and basically it's where a couple of agencies will discuss your release. So it might be social services, probation, mm. uh, whoever, the police, uh, a psychologist, a psychiatrist. So you'd have a few people sit on a board and they'd make decisions about your... They don't affect you in prison. They normally meet 28 days before you release and then they decide on your prison licence conditions because these days you spend half in and half out. And part of the conditions were I had to go to um, a bell hostel in Luton. Never been to Luton before. Uh, I was going to be spending six weeks there. So it was really... My life was temporary on the hold. Right. Um, I nearly ended up getting recalled because of that. Um, fortunately it never happened I ended up with a director's warning but anything, any other mistakes and that would have been it, I'd have been back in prison and in a way, through no fault of my own but being stuck in this area um, and I'd been going, I, I was claiming ESA, Employment Support Allowance and I would need a sick note 
Now, I had nothing. So, well, I'm fortunate. A good friend of mine come and met me the next day and dropped me some cash. But um, I I was trying to arrange a sick note. So I was trying to get to the doctors. And all of this temporary business as well, why the hostel hadn't booked me in, I don't know. So, And then the uh, receptionist wasn't the most forthcoming. And I, I had decided that, about confrontation I need to be very careful especially on a prison license that I need to be very careful confrontation so I come away and I got on the phone to my support worker Laura proper ranting and a quite funny thing happened that while I'm ranting and raving and, and I'm trying I've, I've got support around me where I don't need to get angry in the situation I can hold it and then get angry on the phone or face to face with someone that's in my support group yeah. if you like my support network so therefore I don't risk confrontation so um I'm, and then as i looked across the road this geezer was on his phone and he's looking over at me and he walked into a into a, a road sign <laughs> and it pre- i could hear it on the other side you went bang it's like oh my god so straight away that killed it that, that for me just smashed it but when i went back and i explained it to my key worker he went well that was a fortunate and a good decision to make because um i've had issues in the past with the police it's weapons and armed police and that so if they the rece- if I'd have got Larry, the receptionist had phoned up, I'm red flagged. So they would have given my name and next thing you know, a, a Y five O would be outside. Yeah. Um and they'd be on the roofs and like <laughs> absolutely you know, not really that bad. But um however enough to have embarrassed me, probably to the point where I reacted in an irrational way and kicked off with them. Yeah. Um and ended up back in prison. All because I was trying to arrange uh, a doctor's appointment so I could get a sick note so I could get not just my ESA but while the ESA was getting sorted out you can get an advance payment but not until you got your sick note right <laughs> so I was in limbo yeah, so yeah, yeah. it very, really really was a frustration situation so and that was like within days of getting out of prison so that on its own just goes to show you some of the obstacles and the hurdles that even though you're supposed to be in prison serving your debt back to society, that when you come out, you've, you've just got to jump through all these hoops and over these hurdles and everything before you can even begin to get on with your life. Yeah. Would you say, you know, now, do you, is it something that you find less sort of in your day-to-day life, more so than when you first came out? Um, well, no, I've learned to manage my life out here in right. a way. Yeah. Uh, I come off a license in April 2019. Um, and it's quite it's quite a weird experience because everything with to do with like you got court dates, uh, you got like everything you end up in prison, you get out. Mm. And there's occasions if you like. When you come off a license, there's nothing. They're just that's it. You just yeah. you come. I mean, I didn't even bother going, and it's quite funny actually because I got another warning <laughs> on the, my last day. I got a warning. Um, my my final warning is like, oh come on, man. That's obviously been done just because of the rules and regulations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, in the past, I've never really worked with probation either, so that was something new to me as well. Um, I've I've always I've never finished a sentence off. I've been recalled back to prison on purpose because um, the conditions I found a joke. Right. Like, well, I'm not I'm not doing what you tell me to do. I go back to prison. I do what I want. Thanks. And that's how I saw it. Um, and um, uh, yeah, so um, there are a lot. Uh, and of course t- employment I th- we don't even need to talk about employment how, how bad that is um, so yeah it's you don't really get an opportunity you get all of this hope given to you in prison you get all these courses these certificates these training courses the CSCS card rail tickets 
and then you come out and you find no no bugger's going to take you on anyway. So it becomes false hope. Yeah. And then when you become when you get into a situation where you're reoffending, you can see why someone's reoffending because they think, well, what's the fucking point? Yeah. Well, well, sorry, what's the point? Yeah. Let's talk about poetry. Yep. So you're. I mean, I don't know the answer to this question actually. Um, I always ask poets that come on here. Can they pinpoint or remember the first time, not that they wrote poetry, but they were aware of, of poetry? So that could be a poem that made you think, oh, I'm going to have a crack at that. Or was it, f- for you, was it more of a writing thing before it was a reading thing? Um, poetry, poetry, I think I've always... I I, I grew up, my my large, quite a large family, I'm the youngest of six, uh, two brothers, three sisters, and my next sister up, she was the one that taught me to read from a young age. I was only about four. So growing up, for me, it wasn't about sweets from the sweet shop. It was about comics. Um, and comics do, obviously, as well. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I can remember writing poems off to, to comics when I was about right. six or seven. Okay. Um, and entering all them competitions. I used to have loads of stuff at home. Because um, I, I, I was really into it. I mean, like I said before... I've always had a yearning for knowledge. I've always had a yearning for education and and, lear- uh, and learning, um, a yearning for learning. Um, <laughs> so that was something that was instilled in me in a, for a, a long time ago. So um, poetry that that I suppose one of the first poems that I wrote that really upset me, uh, made me feel. Um, and made me think, oh, bloody hell, hold on, yeah. uh, was a letter, I, it was a poem that I wrote in 2004 when I was in Pentonville Prison. Uh, and it was to my darling boys, my bundle of joys. Um, it's Daddy here. Uh, oh, I can't, remember, I can't remember it off the top of my head now. But as I was writing it, I, oh, I started mm. sobbing. So I thought, wow, this is going to be really good. And it did come out good. And it was basically... Um, uh, and I think it said that uh, about my voice travelling over the wall and giving them a kiss goodnight um, uh, and again that if you like is where that freedom's a state of mind um, as much as those walls and fences are up around a prison we also have walls and fences around ourselves so that if you like in a way is is an analogy for life that even though people are in prison we're also in prison out here and one of those ways to be able to express that is through poetry because it's very difficult to explain that yeah. from your perspective. But I think poetry, I learned early on, is a very good way of being able to express yourself in a really pretentious way, <laughs> especially from someone like myself. It's like, um, forsooth. I mean, I, <laughs> but again, it, 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 but it, it goes to show how far removed it takes me that, uh, if you like, I become this this other character when I do it. So that, I think you can see there where the coping mechanism side of it comes yeah, into it. Yeah, it. it's sort of escapism in a way, I guess. It is, yeah, of course. Was, my next question about, about your, your writing process whilst you were inside especially was, you know, how did you stay creatively motivated? But I think that links into what you were just saying. Yeah, I, I think prison keeps you creatively motivated, mm. whether that be... Um, through happiness or through sadness. Um, I mean, I've I've see, I've written some dark stuff myself, and I've been um, in in some really dingy places. Yeah. And I mean dingy places metaphorically rather than prison itself. 
Um, but then I've also been ecstatic about certain things and I've been able to, to, to create some fantastic, upbeat, positive stuff. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's... It, it it's it kind of it gets you when it gets you as well really um but like i say it's a way that that it's been able has it, it, enabled me to to i suppose cope obviously what we said um but also to 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 express myself um and and have that other character i don't it, it's <laughs> it's hard, but yeah i mean it, it it's yeah, it's really hard to explain. It's mm. no, I th- no, so I individualistic. Think, I, think, I think you've given us a good insight into you know what 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 kept you going in terms of writing uh, and the writing process. I was going to ask, do did you read much poetry or of other people in prison? And if you did, I'm just on a personal level interested to know what what they stock, if any, like right. poets. Well, I I did. Um, I not so much. I mean. Th- there's the classics. There's one by Walter Delamere, and I can't for the life of me remember how it goes. It was one of those that you just I turn to now and again, and it's called The Listener, and it's about mm. um, someone coming up to uh, a, uh, an inn and knocking on the door. It's, it's really weird, bizarre poem. Um, so there are classics that I read, and Shakespeare as well. I read some of his sonnets, but um, very pretentious of a prisoner. Um, <laughs> But uh, but you, you you find that you also bump into a lot of prisoners that do know a lot of Shakespeare. They do know a lot of um, Oscar Wilde. Obviously, the Ballad of Reading Jail is one of my, um, my all all-time favourite uh, uh, poems. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I did read, but I found that <laughs> I'd read other prisons other prisoners' poems more. Um, you also get. Um, magazines with them like each individual prison will have their magazine or they'll have the library or do something so you get to read but also there's a a a paper in prison called inside times um there's a few papers there's converse as well which is a very very good paper and um but inside times they have a uh a sort of it's like a magazine so at the back you get poetry um you get letters that go throughout um and you get sort of quizzes and crosswords and so on and Mm. so forth but there's a lot of poetry in there, so obviously for me, being an environment in which I I I, I kind of have an emotional attachment to, yeah, reading definitely. other prisoners' poems is something I I really enjoy more, and 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 I get more goosebumps, uh, and because uh, I understand the environment, yeah. um, and um, and as I say, the environment itself is what can, regardless of the individual's background, the actual environment before the indi- and you take any other variables on board the actual environment itself is such a a, a, a complex environment in itself um, that it, it it lends itself to poetry um, be it dark or upbeat or humorous even I'm sure it's probably been done before but if it hasn't there should definitely be some sort of anthology well there is yeah there's, yeah. there's plenty out there I mean there are you get the in the libraries you get the um, the 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 your typical sort of love poems and the the prisoners adapt and pretend they wrote it themselves or uh, the poems what they buy for a quarter ounce of burn or caps or whatever it is these days um, and pass it off for their own but the thing that catches them out is like, oh, that poetry you wrote, you wrote in jail absolutely can you write me one here so oh, uh, <laughs> oh no I was feeling it a bit different in there now I'm out here on free it's a bit different you know what I mean um, 
But no, I mean, um, so y you do get quite a decent choice in, in prisons for poetry in, in, in the libraries. But it's, it's um, Carol Ann Duffy. Um, I think she's a former poet laureate. Yes. Um, Andrew Motion, another former poet laureate. Yep. Um, they, the, their works was very much in there. Roger Goff, the, 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 the Scouse guy. Uh, Benjamin Zephaniah, of course. Yeah. Um, someone else that I very much admire, wh whose work I admire. Um, but a lot is uh, Peter Romford um, in the Inside Times that I like to read. Um, because, as I say, and they, they do a lot of international stuff in there as well, from America and from Canada and from Australia, uh, for the Commonwealth countries. Um, so you do, you, you, you get quite a mixed bag yeah. um, of poetry in there. Sounds good mm. in terms of what they've got. So your poetry... Obviously, you've got a, a few recorded pieces on SoundCloud, yep. uh, which I had to listen to, and two that I really like. The one, one you sent me was called "Listen," yep. uh, and I feel like speaking to you today and hearing about the, you know, some of the roles you had in prison, I can kind of understand that poem even more now. Yeah, uh, and "Survivor" I thought was a really, really great poem. "Survivor," "Survivor" is is that got sent to me. Oh, did um, it? I think I've mentioned. Hopefully, I've mentioned in there. Oh right, right. right. On the text, That's obviously. It, yeah. Well, is that the, someone you knew that wrote um, that? Or? No, I don't know who wrote it. Uh, oh. It was an anon, one oh, of right. those. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, I write enough of my own work to to sort of say that no, I've, I've used that. There's another one on there, Forty Machines. That was someone else's as well. Um, I kind of adapted that though. Um, but no, Survivor. I I put it to music. Um, but I'd, I'd never and but yeah, it, it's it's a it, it's um, you look face you looked a uh, 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 thing in the face and, and and you survive sort of thing. I mean, it's yeah, um, I can't remember it. <laughs> it's a it's a very strong poem, yeah. um, and it's a str and it's a strong poem of hope um, from a from a position of of despair. And I think um, a lot of poetry, especially prison poetry, is about that hope from a position of despair. Mm. Felt like listen as well captured, uh, you know, the sort of emotion that that you probably felt on a daily basis yeah. in, in terms of you know the officers potentially or or you know when you come back outside. Uh, the yeah, things you were talking about with society. The, the 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 poem listen that was more to do with the interaction that takes place between two prisoners, um, be that an education mentor and a mentee, a Shannon Trust, which is a reading um, mentor and their mentee, or a listener, uh, one of the trained smart and one of their callers, which they're called in prison. Um, and it's about that, and it's about, because we do, um, well, obviously, I've had the training for it, but you find that when you're talking to someone and you're talking about your innermost thoughts, they're waiting to give you a response. They're waiting to answer what they think they, uh, what they, think they should say, yeah. when all you really should be saying is, no way, tell me more. Because that's what they're trying to do. They're just because it's so much better once it comes out. And and when someone, especially in prison as well, and and you've got to understand that there's a lot of mistrust in prison about what we say, um, because you're always worried about where it's going to go. Um, uh, that you can have someone put a complaint in, and they go out for parole, and it's like, oh, according to this complaint, you still got an issue with women because you're complaining about some a, a prison officer being dressed. Right. Um, so you need to be very careful, or you perceive you, you obviously think that everyone's watching you all yeah, the time, yeah. and in a way they are. Every movement can be recorded. You don't know, especially, and you don't know if 
do us a favour, keep an eye on Breakspear for us, we want to make sure. So you've got a security file open and you don't even know about it and you'll be in watch without even knowing about it. So um, it, it, it's, it, it's quite a paranoid world anyway. So when you get someone that's a prisoner open up to you with their innermost demons, it's a really special moment, yeah. a really special moment. I think that poem does capture sort of empathy well mm. as well, which makes a lot more sense now you said it's between two Yeah, come into my world and allow yeah. me to be me because we all see life differently. We, 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 there's, the, there's, if you like, um, a pathway that we all follow. Of course we do. Um, it, it's one that exists in, in humanity, in life, whatever. But individually, we see it from different... It's like I said to you on the way up about um, receiving a text message that five people would read the same text message five different ways. Yes and perceive it five different ways and that's the same with poetry um, and it could be completely different to what the the author of that text or the author of that poem actually meant in the first place yeah I don't know how it came up in conversation but I feel like we should mention it because it is quite an amazing story but arguably the UK's most famous prisoner uh, Bronson Charles Bronson oh yeah yeah um, I can't remember how it came up now but um, you show me this amazing on your phone where you well i think we were talking about artwork yeah production of the, what prisoners produce yeah i was a couple of years ago i was involved in um two campaigns with charlie one was um to get him well to get him out really but it was more to get him moved um so that he could progress because yeah. he'd been stuck in a high security state so he needed to progress obviously a lot of it was his own fault it's what happens when you take teachers hostage um <laughs> especially in prison um kind of yeah the, the prison officers have tend to be a little bit wary of people like that um but uh yeah so um i got involved in the campaign of that and i was really i, I wrote him a letter and uh i was really interested because of a lot of his time was spent in solitary confinement. Solitary confinement is, is prison within prison. Now, prison is can be a, a harsh environment. So, what? I mean, I've done segregation, but I think the, the the maximum was seven days that I ever spent in segregation at one go. I was on basic for five weeks, but that was my own cell. Um, so, to be in segregation, the, the the to wake up every day and wanting to stay alive which obviously comes back to hope, must be huge mm. inside of him. So I asked him for um, his view um, on hope, um, written in the poet, uh, written in the poem, uh, which he kindly did. Um, I can read it if you want. So yeah, I mean, I, I can read it now. It's, um, <laughs> it's called Hope by Himself. Um, hope is in my dreams, deep inside. To lose my dream would be to lose my soul. A man needs a dream. A dream is all the hope he needs. A dream is priceless. It's a beautiful part of a man's journey. The day my dream dries up, my hope will disappear. Hopelessness will turn to emptiness. That's when the world turns sour and my heart becomes bitter. Hope is the dream. Never let go. Charles Bronson, or Salvador as he was then. Yeah. I mean, even in that, you can. He sounds so determined, and like you said, to be in solitary for so many years of your, you know, sentence. Yeah, and still have that. Yeah, I mean, I've 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 been um, doing some work uh, behind the scenes, so to speak, not um, intense work, but um, I've been speaking to researchers and uh, 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 um, professors and that um, in respect of death row syndrome. So I do some campaigning in America. 
Um, but also on the back of that is obviously segregation. And there, and it, it really does need to, death row syndrome doesn't just um, uh, relate to death row. It also, as I say, relates to segregation. And you do, it becomes an illness and it should be recognised as such because um, and uh, unless you're strong-willed, you can go completely do lally yeah. uh, in segregation and in a very short amount of time because it really the walls of prison really can come closing in pretty quick and when that happens you just become suffocated and and unfortunately that's where the consequence of self-harm and suicide come from so obviously you're you're still doing your degree did you yep. say it's a, is it criminology criminology and psychological studies so yeah. you're studying for that um you still writing poetry? I am. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And you're a published author. Yeah. Uh, the book. I can't remember the name of the a book. A father's son. A father's son. Um, but it. there's 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 also um, that that was that was that was my first foray. But it's not great. Um, right. and, and there's a, there's a story behind it as well where I kind of got a little bit burnt. But um, we live and learn. Yeah. We live and learn. However, it hadn't put me off. Uh, and unfortunately, I can't really say too much yet because it hasn't been announced. Uh, and it's not for me to announce, but in spring next year, um, I am part of uh, an anthology um, okay. book. Um, and a po- it's, poetry one. No, or, uh, this is a this is to do with my hobby, the organised crime side. But um, the, it, it, it's 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 uh, I, I really don't want to give too much away, but it's quite a big thing. For me, for me, it's yeah, huge. Yeah. So just keep your eyes out. Yeah, keep your eyes out. I mean, there, there's so much more behind it as well, rather than just me being in a book. Right. There is so, and in a way, is is the reason why I use the hashtag "What Can Be," yeah. because when people find out, it really is evidence of what can be. And you've got your blog, uh, yep. which is full of lots and lots and lots of stuff that you've uh, written. Yep. Journey of a Reformed Man dot net. Yep. Uh, you got so what are your you got any more poetry plans? Um, yeah, um, I well, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows what comes up? I mean, you popped up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I see you lurking about in the background. I thought, well, do you know what? Let's have a look at what they are doing. Um, so really, and in a way, that's that's why I'm able to keep the motivation, the love, and everything for what I do out here because of. I'm not. I don't have a plan. I have a destination, mm. which is and and this might sound corny, but I don't care. Um, I have a destination, which is to leave a legacy that my great grandchildren's children will be proud of me for. How I get there, I haven't got a clue. But that's a pretty good goal to have because um, even if I fall slightly short, it's still going to be a wonderful life. Yeah. So um, that yeah, it's just I'm riding the wave, and and um, I could say to you that oh yeah, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And then next week, uh, I might produce an anthology. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I do, just yeah. don't know. I really don't know. So I've got two questions to end on. Okay. What has been an amazingly interesting uh, yeah, conversation. Yeah, been great. And a great um, location as well. Yeah, perfect. I appreciate you taking the time out. No, thank you. I appreciate you coming. The first question, because we've spoken about prisons and how they run and reforms, and I know you're you know, a campaigner for yep. reform, so I've got to ask, really, to to wrap that side of the conversation up. What are the most sort of, if if you could have something done today, what 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 would be the most pressing piece of reform you would like to see in prisons if it could be implemented today, above anything else? What would be? Um, for me, 
um, and the most important area are pupil referral units because um, in children in, in custody in children's custody, 88% of those in children's custody, children, uh, youth custody, if you like, have gone through exclusion. 88%. Mm. So for me, that's quite clearly the entrance. <laughs> that's that's where being excluded from school starts you on that path of school exclusion to prison entrance. And believe you me, prisons aren't choosy. They're not as choosy as schools. Um, they take anybody. You don't need a uh, five O levels. You don't need any A levels. Um, in fact, you don't need to have any education at all, and prison will take you. And unfortunately, um, until we start investing in our youth, um, that is where we need to. That's the important place to be working. In prison. Um, the rest will take care of itself, if you like, because because if you can cut that head off the snake, you can stop that conveyor belt. You can then start dealing with the ones that are already in there, yeah. whilst leaving the youth to other people. Um, alternative sentencing, I suppose, is what I'm saying. Let let's let's stop looking at the criminals. Stop looking, reading the Daily Mail headlines, and let's start looking. One of the a good interview I done um, was with. Um, former QC John Samuel uh, John Samuels he's also the president of the Prison Education Trust and he had said about judges becoming like GPs like you wouldn't go to a doctor and a doctor would go right there you go without even speaking to you here's some tablets off you go you'll be better tomorrow yeah. in a week's time the doctor will ask you questions the doctor will investigate what's wrong with you why can't we look at the criminal justice system in the same way? Because as I say, a lot of people in our prisons haven't grown up or haven't been born criminal. They've turned into that because of being products of a society. That it, it, prisons are a reflection of society. So if you're ashamed of prisons, you should be ashamed of yourself because we've allowed this to happen. Mm. Um, it's been created. And... and Forevermore, it seems, for the last 200 years, prison have been used as, as, as places of punishment. Fine. That's that. That's it. Prisons are for punishment. It's about what we do after that matters. And do we really want to just keep putting people in prison and for them to become warehouses? Or do we want to put them in prison where they deserve to be? Don't get me wrong. I'm not an abolitionist. I, unfortunately, we need prisons. Yeah. Um, I, I'd like to think we didn't. Um, but unfortunately we do and until things change it's part of the process so it's about what we do with them and and how we how we if you like um, value those people going in there because they are someone's son they are someone's daughter they are someone's mum they are someone's dad and so on and so forth so and of course 95 percent of people in prison are going to be getting out so why wouldn't you want people coming out of prison with the skills, the experience, the knowledge, uh, and the qualifications, if you like, in some aspects, in order to become a, a successful taxpaying member of society and stop taking for the system and giving back? Because your poll tax is going to become cheaper. All right, your poll tax won't get cheaper, but um, it will enable the government to therefore spend more money in other areas that need yeah. extra money being spent on rather than it being spent on the criminal justice system. We should be closing. As much as I say I'm not an abolitionist, we still should be closing prisons. We shouldn't have as many people in prison as what we've got. Um, but there are some people that deserve to be in prison, and I was one of them. I mean, I, I deserved... I can't really say that I've had any unfairness. Um, I've deserved everything because... 
the decisions are made, the irresponsible decisions. You did say that earlier, walking up here. Yeah. yeah. Um, however, I am responsible for my actions. It's like I say about school. Um, how when I done my access module, um, how right the teachers were that if only David applied himself and I applied myself and here I was on the beginning of um, studying for a degree, which is far f removed from f someone being excluded from schools you can get. So, but it, that, it angered me as well because it was like, well, rather than spending your time saying, oh, only David applied himself, what if the school applied themselves to me? Mm. What if they had done something different with me? Where would I be now? But I ain't complaining because I love my life yeah. and I wouldn't change it for the world. And the other question that I always, always ask, to close the sort of poetry side of things, is when I started the podcast just over a year ago, uh, and it sort of got bigger and bigger and bigger, and you know, there was all this in the media about how young people, especially, were now buying poetry books again, and lots more people were turning to it. I thought that's great, but that's odd because poetry is this old, archaic form of literature, and you think of like the youth of today not being interested but clearly that weren't the case you've got young adults well, and rap and I mean, yeah, rap's poetry yeah. hip-hop's poetry I mean, what, in your opinion what do you think it is what, why do people turn to poetry um I, I do you know what I, I really don't think that i could answer that in all honesty because it comes down to the individual doesn't it i think we all find poetry in our own way um why is it because I, I, the spoken word again seems to be and i think if you look, I mean, the, the, a good friend of mine, Brenda, she's known as Unchained Poetry. Mm. And, and she does a lot of spoken word in respect to prisons. And she's opened up a platform to allow, allow others to do the same. Um, there's another guy who, I, funny enough, I, I see, see the same evening that I interviewed John Samuels. It was at a Prisons Education Trust uh, event. And Jamal and some of the poetry, it gave me goosebumps. Yeah. Goose, goosebumps. And that's outside of prison. Um, so, um, it, it, it's, I think, I think it's becoming a lot more fashionable these days. Um, I think it started a while back with people like Andrew, not so much Andrew Motion, but Carol Ann Duffy. Um, I mean, she wrote a lot of children's poetry as well. So if you like, she was, I suppose, the first non-established, uh, and then Roger Goff as well. He, he I think, was mm. he poet like, I know he, he, he was kind of in the news around about the same time as Carol Ann Duffy become Poet Laureate. So he was there for a reason. But then they drag out Roger Goff now for this COVID and they always seem to drag him out when Liverpool wins something or there's something that goes on. And I say drag him out in quite a derogatory way and I really don't mean it that way. Um, but yeah, so poet, and, and I think as well with sport, um, you see the beginning of these tournaments and it's all, like the rugby was, um, they're always quoting poetry yeah. football they seem to be quoting poetry now um so i think poetry is becoming fashionable again has it ever gone out of fashion poetry i don't think so i mean uh, you're talking about songs i mean songs are poetry they're yeah. just sung that's all that's you're talking difference. about sport and stuff using poetry you look at um like corbyn's uh election campaign oh and politics yeah, <laughs> yeah he, he you know he had the uh, for the many not the few which came yeah. from a poem as well didn't it yep. so it is sort of just still there in the fabric of you know everyday life yeah, of course it is. Yeah, yeah I mean, and and um, and it's like you could you could even uh, I say poetry more prose really, but you can start reading newspapers. And I and I found that I was doing this in prison. It was a tip given to me by uh, uh, a poet a poet from 
he was part of the it's in Suffolk Aldborough uh, Poetry Festival I actually had um, a poem um, when I was in prison published uh, we, we used to do poetry evening classes and we'd get uh, a sentence to start with and it was who was I mm. or who am I uh, and I, uh, I used to do a lot of tree climbing as a kid and it was um, who am I the question was raised I am but a simple man named Dave in my tree known as Climber and that got published but I'd done it in the shape of you know the old fashioned trees you used to do is a big fat triangle and a big fat oblong <laughs> underneath <laughs> yeah, it yeah, sideways yeah. that's how I'd done the poem so it was done in the shape of a tree as well that's cool um, and yeah so I mean I've, I've, I've always sort of found um, found if you like um my own sort of unique um, um, way with poet, and, and I and I and I and as I say, I used to read newspapers, uh, and I read it as uh, as prose. I, I'd give it a little bit of rhythm, and yeah. rather than just. And then I found that I was doing it with books as well, so I had to stop for a bit because it was getting really annoying. So people that have discovered you for the first time yep. and they want to keep a close eye on future publications poetry etc where can they find you um well linkedin really is the best place LinkedIn, yeah. yeah um and i'm on instagram as well what can be too um or my blog journeyreformman.net and um if anyone wants to get in contact there's contact forms in now anyone wants to ask any questions um yeah it's it's open for questions too david it's been an absolute pleasure thank you for contacting me i love it you're when welcome people contact thank you me and we can chat like this please do follow david check out his stuff can't wait to read more poetry thank you very much it's been a blast i've enjoyed it thank you this episode's recital comes from david himself this is a poem that he wrote and he does a little introduction to the poem for us this is called inside fantasy on my last sentence um i was involved in creative writing class and uh again we used to get given uh set examples set tests uh, set set words or whatever uh, uh situations <laughs> so, and and we just just go off and, and write what we can within 10 15 minutes of that so although this is a quick it, it didn't take me long to write it the meaning behind it has so much because i always state that freedom's a state of mind i say that freedom's a state of mind and by that um i don't think it matters where you are uh it's like the the wife that suffers domestic abuse the child that some that suffers child abuse are they free even though they're free um are they any freer than someone in prison that uh, or a homeless person that has the whole world at their feet would be regarded as free but are they um and are they as free as the homeless guy in prison with a roof over his head and, and three meals a day so um it, it it's um for me freedom enables you being, being a state of mind it enables you to sort of take yourself away from the current situation you're in because prisons can become depressing soulless places and then walls can close in as well so if you can get yourself outside them walls as many times as you possibly can and that's where drugs comes into it as well where people have a night out um that that's so obviously picking up a pen is a lot better than picking up a bit of dr uh, any drug so um this one is called um inside fantasy um and it literally is my view of prism when i'm in there the chocolate box view of the house by the stream with rod and line dangling waiting for the unsuspecting bream or trout 
Today is spontaneous, the sun warming my air of expectation. Hours pass in this idyllic setting, as do days. Now months have gone by. As I turn, the nakedness of autumn exposes itself to me. The aroma of mulch takes my hand as the early setting sun turns to dusk. Fields barren of life. Save my own. I shiver as the air turns white. A laced tablecloth over the land appears. My breath, my breath becomes smoke signals for those inside. Dress well, I exhale. Then soon, in the distance, colours begin to dance in the rebirth of spring. A choir of animals orchestrating a new beginning. My time will soon come. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as I enjoyed sitting down with David and recording that. Massive thank you to David for taking the time out and for giving such a beautifully truthful and honest interview about his life and about his poetry. And we got a Charles Bronson or Salvador poem. Amazing. Thanks for sharing that, David. Do make sure you keep up to date with everything David's doing in the future. Journeyofreformman.net. The man knows no limits. It's onwards and upwards for him, I feel. Cannot wait to see some new poetry from David. A massive thank you as always to you at home for listening if you've enjoyed the show please do share it with a friend you can find us on instagram at people's poetry podcast over on twitter at people underscore poetry you can find us on facebook people's poetry podcast i'm on twitter jbo that's jbo pens poems and you can email us if you want to get involved with the show if you're a poet yourself and you'd like to sit down and chat or social media just don't cut the mustard and you want to get in touch it's people's poetry podcast at hotmail.com 